Matthew chapter 25. And from the balcony as well, just go ahead and come down the stairs and meet Miss Michaela out in the lobby, and she will lead you out to children's worship. Good-looking crew we have today. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. And for our time of prayer today, I want us to pray for perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. Perseverance through trial. We live in an age of trial in so many different ways. People enduring physical suffering, people enduring suffering just as part of this world, part of this society. People enduring psychological suffering or emotional suffering. And so what I want to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you some time to pray for each of those topics as well. That for people that you know, maybe it's even you, or maybe it's your family, or maybe it's somebody that you know that's enduring a particular suffering right now, I want to encourage you to be lifting them up in prayer this morning. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we thank you for the good news of the grace of our God that we've sung about, we've heard, read about through Scripture, we've seen grace demonstrated in this video. And Lord, we thank you that your love is always pursuing, never giving up, always and forever. We rejoice in those truths and we thank you for the gospel. And Lord, we recognize that in our lives of faith as we persevere in the gospel as we persevere as saints. The only reason we persevere is because it's by your Spirit's empowerment. Lord, there are many in our church right now whose perseverance is tested. Many who are struggling in various different ways and need your encouragement, need your strength during these dark hours. Lord, we lift up those especially who are sick. Lord, we lift up Scott Samuelson to to you. And Lord, we pray for his encouragement and his endurance. Lord, for his healing. Lord, knowing that you are the God who heals. And for your kids, whether in this life or in the life to come, one day you'll answer that prayer. Lord, we lift up him and pray for his healing. We pray for Joan Parisian and her husband. We pray for Carol White. We pray for her healing, that you administer to her and continue to encourage her. Lord, we pray for Randy Adams, our executive director of our Northwest Baptist Convention. Lord, we pray for his healing as he has this blood clot in his lungs and these clots in his legs. Lord, give the doctors wisdom as they treat him. You know people as well who need prayer right now. Why don't you lift them up to the Lord right now? Lord, we also know many people who are suffering because of events in our society. Lord, we know people who are having to make very difficult decisions about jobs, people in fear of their future employment, fear of their financial stability. Lord, we know people who are struggling with society and with 
the government, and not only in this country, but around the world in so many different ways. And so, Lord, we lift them up. We pray for their encouragement and strength. And Lord, I pray that you would help them also to know that they are not alone, that we here as the body of Christ truly love each other deeply and, and hurt when another member is hurting. And we weep with those who are weeping and struggle alongside those who are struggling with various different issues in our culture. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless them and encourage them, strengthen them with your peace and hope. If you know it's someone who is struggling right now just because of the world, why don't you lift them up in prayer? Lord, we also know that during this time that there are many who are suffering psychologically and emotionally. There is rampant anxiety in our culture. Many people are affected deeply by the recent events, by the last couple of years, and even compounded with their anxieties that they had before. Other, others are even, that I've known even this past week and been praying for people who have even been struggling with thoughts of suicide. People have been struggling with even just giving up life. And so, Lord, I pray for their encouragement. I pray for their strength. I pray that you would help them to also realize that they are not alone, that they have a church here that deeply loves them, cares for them, prays for them and wants to walk with them through this season of doubt, this season of discouragement and depression and suffering and anxiety. So Lord, I pray that even today you would break through that cloud so that they would know the love of Jesus and the hope of our Christ. If you know someone suffering in that way, be praying for them right now. Lord, even as I think of names, people who have remained and haven't mentioned today, Lord, even tears well up in my eyes thinking of the suffering and the challenges that so many face. Different names, different situations, different struggles, but all need the same answer. Jesus, you're the answer. And so, Lord, I pray that they, in each situation, whether it be sickness or the crazy world or anxiety, Lord, may each know your presence and also the presence of a fellow struggler, the presence of a fellow believer who can encourage them in this day. Lord, I pray that as we open your word, we would be encouraged by truth. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. And reading through the end of the chapter, Matthew writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or without clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't take me in. I was naked, and you didn't clothe me, sick and in prison, and you didn't take care of me. Then they will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer them, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to marvel and wonder and be amazed at things to come, but Lord, I pray that in, in these days, you would help us to love in a way that would prepare us for this day. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What I want to talk to you today about is loving one another as end time preparation. Loving one another as end time preparation. One of the most common questions that I get as a pastor is, how do I study the Bible for myself? How do I study Scripture? How do I, how do I study God's Word for myself? And I will often give several different recommendations for that. I'll, I'll encourage people to get a, get, a good, get a good study Bible with cross-references. Find a, a way to get some commentary so that you can explain, that it will explain the Scripture to you. Sit regularly under the preaching of God's Word. One of the other ways to become apt and good at studying the Bible, to grow in your skills at studying the Bible, is to simply read through the Bible regularly. I encourage you to read through the Bible annually. Like have a, have a Bible reading plan that gives you an understanding of the overarching storyline of Scripture beginning to end. And as you know the flow of Scripture, then the individual parts will become more clear to you as you become more familiar with God's Word. But one of the most important skills of learning to study the Bible is simply learning how to ask good questions. How do you ask good questions? questions. Answering and asking good questions will help you to understand what a particular passage teaches and then also glean out the applications of a particular passage of a particular text of Scripture. 
I encourage people to ask questions like this, like, what does this passage teach us about God? What does this passage teach us about Jesus? And what does this passage teach us about how we should live and respond to who God is, who Jesus is, who we are, and how we should live life in this world? You can ask application questions like Ligonier Ministries recommends the following questions. Is there a command to obey? Is there an example to follow? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a sin to avoid? And is there a principle to follow? All of these would be application-oriented questions. How do I live out my life in response to what this particular passage teaches? Now, what I want to do today is I want to frame our time today around a series of thought-provoking questions about this passage, the sheep and the goats judgment. Now, some have called this passage the judgment of the nations and other different varieties of names for this particular passage. The sheep and the goat judgment is another name for it. But I want to ask a series of questions that will help us to understand what is going on in this passage, what is going to happen, and how does that apply to our lives today? Now, some have called this particular passage a parable, but I think it's a lot more than that. There's certainly parable-like elements here in this passage. So there is a shepherd king, and he's he's separating the sheep and the goats. You see that imagery where where people are symbolized with livestock. Those are are parable elements in this passage, but I think it's so much more than that. I think Jesus is telling us about real events that are coming at the end of the age, real events that are coming when Jesus returns. So this really is more than just a parable. It really is a prophecy. And so four questions that I want to ask from this particular passage that will lead us to love one another as end times preparation are as follows. Question number one, what is going to happen? Question number two, when will these things happen? Question number three, does this passage teach works salvation? Meaning, be really good and be really nice to people and you'll be saved. Is that what this passage teaches? And question number four, how should Jesus' teaching change your life today? Four questions about the judgment of the nations. Question number one is this, what? what? What is going to happen? That is fairly straightforward in this passage. What is coming? We see here at the end of the age, Jesus is going to return with all of his angels in glory. He will sit on his glorious throne and he will fulfill all of the promises in the Old Testament and in the New Testament concerning the king that is to come, this king that will sit forever on the throne of David. Jesus will fulfill all of those promises. Now, I need to stop here and say this. I believe that Jesus is coming again. (laughs) The Bible teaches that Jesus is physically coming again. He will rule and reign in this world in a kingdom that will last forever, beginning with his thousand-year reign in this world and then extending on into eternity forever and ever and ever. Now, there are some that are teaching today that now Jesus is just figuratively going to reign forever through his church and that he spiritually reigns in our hearts as we follow his good example in our lives. Now, that's warm and fuzzy, (laughs) but that isn't what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible teaches that Jesus is physically coming again. We sing, I'll fly away, not because it was a nice song that was written in the 60s that has a nice beat to it. We sing, I'll fly away, because that is an actual reality that is going to happen. Jesus is coming again. He's going to resurrect believers who are dead in Christ. Those who are left will be caught away with him in the air. Jesus will return to earth, will rule and reign in this world, and his kingdom will have no end. That is our hope in Christ. That is the future events that are going to dawn on this planet. Jesus is fulfilling prophecies In the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 is one of them. He says there, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and kingdom and or glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. In the very first verse of our passage, when Jesus talks about himself, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when the Son of Man fulfills Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he is going to come in glorious power to rule and reign over the nations, and his kingdom will endure for all of the ages to come. And that should give us great hope as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that our hope is not in human government. Our hope is not in Washington. Amen? (laughs) Our hope is in a king that is going to rule on an everlasting throne. That is our hope. Beware of ever placing a hope that is reserved for the future on any present individual or any present nation, or any present party. Yes, we should engage politically, but our ultimate hope is not there. It is in eternity on the king who is coming. And that is when all things will be set straight. Not only do we see Jesus fulfilling Daniel 7, but we see Jesus fulfilling Christmas when he returns. (laughs) What? How does Jesus fulfill Christmas when he returns? Well, in the book of Isaiah chapter 9, We often put this verse on our Christmas cards. But it all wasn't fulfilled in Bethlehem. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Ah, Christmas. But then that's already, but then we have a not yet. What's to come? The government shall be on his shoulder. Praise the Lord. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You need help figuring life out? Jesus is it. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, and on the throne of David and over His kingdom, He will reign to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That is the second coming of our Christ. That is the coming of Jesus that we long for. That rule and reign of Jesus in this world forever and ever and ever. This world and in the new heavens and the new earth that he will bring with him. Jesus will gather all of the nations to himself and they will all be judged. 
And here in Matthew chapter 25, it says, In the sovereign wisdom of our shepherd king, he will separate out the sheep from the goats. Now, interestingly, that in our world that we would say, yeah, I know what a sheep is. I know what a goat is. A sheep says, bah. A goat says, nay. You know, I I get that. (laughs) Or something like that. (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) City boy here, right? (laughs) Like, I went to the the petting zoo and saw one one time, right? (laughs) But in that day, in that area, the sheep and the goats that they're talking about are almost indistinguishable. You have to be a trained shepherd in order to understand and be able to see the differences. They're not all clean like they are in the petting zoo. (laughs) They're hard, but Jesus will know. He will say, sheep, goat, he will know the difference. And he says there that what will be the grounds for judgment? What will be the grounds of separation on that day? Jesus tells us here in Matthew chapter 25 that it is the issue is how they treated Jesus. Jesus was hungry, thirsty, needing community, naked, sick, and in prison. And neither the righteous sheep nor the unrighteous goats recognized Jesus. Now, both of them said, when did we see you like this, Jesus? Both of them had that shocking response. We, when did we see you this way? Neither of them recognized what was going on. But what he says there is he says, the ones who fed me, invited me in, clothed me, visited me, cared for the least of these my brothers and sisters they did it unto me enter into everlasting life and those who did not who saw me naked who saw me hungry who saw me thirsty who saw me in need of community as a stranger who saw all of these realities and did nothing about it did nothing for him did nothing for jesus those will be put on his left those are the goats and they will be separated from god forever in the place that is reserved for the devil and his angels what jesus says in the last verse is eternal punishment all based upon how they showed and demonstrated love can you see how love is in times preparation now when i say that we know here in a moment we need to ask the question so does this passage teach works righteousness that you are saved by your works or that you are saved by your faith infused with works. What's going on here? But we'll get there here in a moment. Second question is this. When will these things happen? When is this going to take place? Well, if you're looking for a timeline, I'm not going to give you one because several times Jesus said in this passage, he said, you don't know the day or the hour. So I don't know when it will happen. It's in the future from where we are at this point. Now, some people, will, some people say that this particular judgment happens at the end of the tribulation period where the sheep and the goats are identified, or the people there are identified as the tribulation saints and those, those who came to Christ during the tribulation or those who rejected Christ during the tribulation, that they will stand before Christ when he returns with his people. That's one interpretation. Others see this as equivalent of the great white throne judgment at the end of the ages, 
at the end of the millennium. Others see it more symbolic of the overall arching order of judgments that will take place at the end of time. Here's the point. Regardless of when it takes place, what you need to take from this passage is that one day you individually will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One day you will stand before God and give an account for your life for how you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, for how you loved others, for how you lived your life. You personally will stand before God. You'll not stand as a group. You'll not stand as a family. You will stand as an individual and give an account for your life. So therefore, the application of this passage is you better be ready for that day. It is inevitable There's only two kinds of people in the whole history of the universe. There is sheep and there's goats. There are people who are ready, people who are not. All will stand before God and give an account for their lives. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? It is a future historical reality that is as certain as the fact that you got up this morning. It's going to happen. Question number three, does this passage teach teach works salvation? Now, that's an important question. Does this passage teach that the way to be saved is to love people? That the way to be saved is if you find somebody hungry, give them something to eat. If you find somebody thirsty, give them something to drink. If you find a stranger, care for the stranger. And that's how you get saved. (laughs) That's how you be ready for when you stand before Jesus. That's how you be ready is that you love people each other that you love people is that what this passage is talking about but if you live for yourself you're not ready you're going to be separated from the kingdom of love from the kingdom of christ well we need to enter in order to answer that question we need to realize that this passage is not isolated from the rest of matthew it's not isolated from the rest of matthew and it's not isolated from the rest of the new testament so is that what the new testament teaches is that we are saved by faith plus works through grace confusing at all there's some who believe that but is that what the bible teaches well let's look ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 through 10 it answers this very question then we'll come back to matthew there it says for by grace you have been saved through faith this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that so that no one may boast Salvation is not by works. It is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And it can only be to the glory of God alone if you didn't do anything to save yourself. It's all grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus did it all. One pastor said, I did all the sinning, Jesus did all the saving. And that's exactly right. (laughs) I did my part and he did his part. (laughs) The only part I had was not good works, it was all the sinning and Jesus did all the saving. I just received his grace and mercy. That is how you are saved. It's not infused works with grace. It's not grace and it's grace and works. It's grace alone, faith alone. But what's the point of works? Why does Jesus point out works here when we stand before God? Here's the key. Works is an 
evidence of authentic faith. Faith is shown to be the real thing. It's shown to be the authentic thing. It's shown to be the saving thing when it results in a transformed life and love. When it results in a display that the king of love has really taken residence in your heart. And when the king of love takes residence in your heart, it must display in a transformed love for others. The only way for Jesus to truly take residence in your heart is for Him to display the everlasting, always giving, forever kind of love that He gave us when He hung on the cross for our sins. That's the same Savior by His Spirit who dwells within us, setting up His kingdom of love. And then He transforms our lives so that we love God and love others. Works is not the root of salvation. It's a fruit of salvation. It's an evidence of a reality going on in your heart. Jesus won't move in your life without renovating the whole thing. (laughs) Without changing you from the inside out. Giving you a love for people that was not there before. Do we see that in the book of Matthew? Oh yeah, we've seen it all over the place in the book of Matthew. We don't have time to do all of them, but let me just give one of them. Matthew chapter 7, verse 17. So every healthy tree produces good fruit, but the diseased tree produces bad fruit. This parable that we see in Matthew chapter 25, we could say it's the sheep and the goats, but it could also be easily interpreted as the diseased tree and the good tree. The good tree produces good fruit out of the good things in the heart. The bad tree produces bad fruit out of the bad things in their heart. The bad news is that all of us are sinners separated from the glory of God. And the only way we can be good trees is by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith alone, transforming our hearts. And when he does that work in our heart by faith, what happens in our lives is our lives overflow then with love. Our, our lives overflowed then by loving the things Jesus loves and caring for the things Jesus cares about. Jesus is not suddenly teaching a works-based salvation. If you do a good, enough good stuff, you will be saved. He's saying the fruits of real salvation look like this. You love one another. You care about other people in their suffering. And you don't run from suffering. You run towards suffering. Even as Jesus, whom being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing. He came running to us in our hour of greatest need. And we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ echoing the life of Christ and the love of Jesus that saved us should echo that out to the uh, the people around us in this world. Good works of transformed heart and life are the inevitable fruits of salvation. Saving faith will produce a transformed life. Salvation is by faith alone, apart from works. Listen, but saving faith is never What is the evidence of your salvation? It's not a long time ago and a far away. I walked an aisle 
and Jesus has not made a difference in my life ever since. That's not it. It's never where, never in Scripture. Jesus says this, you invited Christ to come into your life as Savior and Lord, and it began a lifelong renovation project from that moment on, where that was the day you began believing and you kept on believing. I kept you by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I put in my I put my spirit within you that produces things that are like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those evidence of the fruit of the Spirit dwelling in your life. That is what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. Not salvation by works, but true saving faith is evidenced by works. So, question number four, last question. How should Jesus' teaching change your life today? How should Jesus' teaching change our life today? This isn't just some thing that we look at, oh, that's kind of interesting what's coming, but it should change our life today in light of the end. We should live differently today. And so therefore you can see why the title of this message is Love as End Time Preparation. The way Jesus is saying throughout his teaching here on the Mount of Olives is not prepare for the end times by storing beans in your basement. Jesus is saying the preparation for the end times is love one another. Is love one another. Let your faith grow to the point where you love Jesus enough that it flows out in love for one another. So how do we do this? How, do we, how should Jesus change your life today? Let me give you two applications. Number one is this. View loving relationships in the church as end times preparation. View loving relationships in the church, important qualifier there, as end times preparation. Jesus says to us in this passage, as you have done this to the least of these, my brethren, my brothers and sisters, you have done them to me. Now, throughout the book of Matthew, when Jesus uses this family language of brothers and sisters, he's talking about people who are saved. He's talking about people who are in the family of God. So the specific application Jesus is giving us here in this passage is really your faith should be evidenced in how you fellowship and love one another, specifically in the church family. Now, there are plenty of other verses that say that we ought to feed the, uh, feed the hungry of the world, that we ought to give drink to the thirsty of the world, that we ought to clothe the people in the world, that we ought to care for the sick in the world as an outflow of sharing the gospel with a lost culture and lost world. There's a lot of verses that talk about that, but this isn't one of them. <laughs> this passage is specifically talking about your need for community as a believer and the community's need for you to be showing love to one another in the body of Christ. You showed love to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. We see this teaching throughout the New Testament in the book of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us show good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We as believers, yes, we're to show love to our world. Yes, we're showing love to the lost. But especially we should be showing love to one another as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to say this in the book of John, Jesus says this, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? By the love that you have for one another. 
Love on display in the church is preparation for the end times, is preparation for the last days. Does the Bible say this anywhere else in the New Testament, that salvation of true believers will be evidenced in the church through love? Oh yeah, that's the message of the book of 1 John. The entire book of 1 John is about that very reality. I could pick a dozen verses in the book of 1 John, and I had to just pick one. 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. 1 John 4, 17 through 21. By this is love perfected in us, that we may have, let's read the underlined portion together, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. There it is. Confidence for the day of judgment comes from love. What kind of love? Love for God? Yes. He said that right before this. But look what he says next. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We loved because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's crystal clear. Love for God will inevitably show up in love for brother as the evidence. If you don't love your brother, you don't love God. And you're not ready for the last days. If I was the devil, what would be my strategy for making sure the church was not ready for the end times? Satan's strategy today is convince the church that loving, sacrificial community is completely optional that you don't need it. If I was the devil, I would have a three-pronged strategy for making sure the church was not ready for the end times. Here's what I would do. Number one, I would emphasize doctrine without application. Talk about theology all you want, just don't do it. If I can keep you head smart, but not acting what you've learned, the devil's got you. And the book of 1 John says that is not real faith. Emphasize doctrine without application. Christianity then becomes academic head knowledge alone without holiness and deep fellowship and loving community. Listen, I love theology. I read it all the time. And I think you should read it too. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the end game. I think theology works its way out in relation and love for one another. And if you have not love, you're just a clanging gong and a sounding cymbal. It's pointless. Theology leads somewhere. It leads to transforms lives and love. If I was the devil, I would de-emphasize community. I would de-emphasize community. And it would convince Christians that gathering is non-essential for growth. You don't really need to gather. 
You don't really even need other believers. All you need is a podcast. (laughs) And while there is a season, yes, indeed, then it's important that we do broadcast this online for those who could not be here today. And there are people with legitimate reasons that cannot be here today that do watch online. They can't walk. Many can't. Some can't even get out of bed. We prayed for one of them earlier. Some of them, actually several. And this is a service to them. This is a help to them. This is a way to care for their souls. But there are others who have made these odd deals with God that says, God, I can worship you just as much on the slope or on the lake as I can gather together with the people of God. And Satan's got this subtle deception in our churches and in our world that says listening to a service is the same as Christian community. It's not. Because someday you might be the one sick. Someday you might be the one hungry. Someday you might be the one thirsty. Someday you might be the one in need of a friend. And what are you going to do in that day? How are you going to survive that day? You're not. You need each other. The thing the world cannot take away from us is our Christ and the love that we have for one another. You can't steal that from me. You can't take that away. No antichrist can drive that from your soul. And so you need each other. Don't buy into the philosophy of the age that says that internet church is exactly the equivalent of gathering with the saints in community, of knowing and being known. It's not the same. You need each other. Now, understand there is a purpose for this. I know there are people sick. I know there are people with compromised immune systems. I get that. But I'm talking also, and they would long to be here. I've talked to one that, would, that cries because he wants to be here so bad. But he can't. But you know what? I want to encourage you. You need each other. And beyond this room of sitting in rows and listening to me talk, you need to sit over a cup of coffee and listen to each other talk. <laughs> You need to sit in community with each other with open Bible and open heart and say, look, here's what I'm struggling with. Can you pray for me? I need you. I need you. You need each other. And that is end times preparation. If that was the devil, I would drive wedges to divide Christians and churches as much as possible. I don't care what the issue is, just as long as people are mad at each other about it. Ask what the devil's plan is. He doesn't care what it is. He's just laughing at it. If you're at home and you're talking about a brother and sister in Christ, running them down rather than praying for them, you're playing into the devil's hand. If you're on the internet, keyboard warrior, critical of your brother and sister in Christ, rather than getting on the phone and sitting down with him and having a conversation, you're playing into his hand. The devil doesn't care what we fight about just as long as we're fighting other believers. That's his end game. That's his goal. That's how he keeps you from being prepared for this day. If he can keep you by looking at Stuff rather than love. There will be no room in your heart for the sick, for those among us who are lonely, 
for those among us who are suffering, may be thirsty physically, may be thirsty just for somebody to talk to them. If I was the devil, I would try to drive as many wedges between people as I possibly could. Second application. You need one another. The first application, second, second application, and finally, let the realities of eternal hell and eternal heaven drive you to tell others about Jesus. I, I just want one word that Jesus repeats last in verse 46. Verse 46 is the very last thing Jesus will say before the events of his crucifixion start. It's the very last teaching of the book of Matthew of Christ, other than after his resurrection. Notice in verse 46 of Matthew 25, Jesus uses the same word twice. And I want you to think about this word long and hard. It's the word eternal. Eternal. He uses that word to describe two realities, eternal heaven, eternal life, eternal punishment. Heaven is a reality where joy of those in Jesus will last forever and ever and ever without end. And every day will be better than the one before it. And just when you thought it can't get any better, the next day comes and it's better and it's always better. And there's always new stuff to enjoy and new things to throw yourself at. And guess what? In heaven, whatever desire you have, you can do it. Not so in this world. You have a lot of desires here you shouldn't do. <laughs> but in heaven, you will be purified and glorified. So everything you ever want to do, you can do. Do as much as you want. Because <laughs> everything you always want is going to be right. <laughs> oh, I long for that day. Eternal. Heaven. Same word Jesus used to describe hell. The place prepared for the devil and his angels is the place where those who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord and do not evidence their relationship with Jesus through love. That's your destiny. In the same way, heaven is eternal. Hell is not in annihilation. The Bible does not teach annihilationism. We're just snuffed out someday and cease to have consciousness. The Bible teaches, Jesus teaches, eternal punishment, separation from God. How long is eternity? Let's assume you were to go over to the west coast of the United States over to Washington and pick up one grain of sand. And you walk across the United States to Virginia. And you deposit that one grain of sand on the east coast. You walk back across the United States. And in Washington, you pick up another from the west coast grain of sand and you walk it all the way to the east coast and deposit it in South Carolina by the time you have moved all of the beaches from Washington, Oregon and California that's day one of eternity forever are you ready for eternity Let's spend a moment and meditate on that. Examine your own heart. 
and then we'll have a time of response. Father, we come before you today, Lord, as needy people, all of us convicted by something today from your word, all of us in need of a greater display of the love of Jesus in and through our lives. And so, Lord, I pray for your forgiveness and grace. Lord, we thank you that the book of 1 John also says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me and forgive all of us for when we have chose critique over love, when we have, shown, when we have cho chosen division and wedges over community and calling one another on the phone and loving one another. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to show real love and desire true community as preparation for one another, helping each other be ready for that day. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who do not yet know you as Savior and Lord, who are not ready for that day at all because they have not yet received Christ as their treasure, as the Savior who died for their sins and rose again from the grave. Lord, I pray that today they would believe, today they would trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, so they would be ready for that day. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see our lives and everything through the lens of eternity, though that single word, eternity, is the most important thing that we need to be concerned about. Help us to consider our lives in light of eternity, in light of forever. Lord, bless this time of response. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.